Welcome to the Bible for My Ordinary Life podcast. My name is Alicia Parker, and I'll be your host. Now, I live a pretty ordinary life, but I really enjoy studying and teaching the Bible. If you're interested in what the Bible really means and how it can be applied to your everyday, perhaps ordinary life, then this podcast is for you. You see, I believe the Bible is more than just a collection of interesting stories. It's God's communication to humankind. It's a revelation about who he is and how we fit into the story he is telling. Even if we feel like our personal story is a little bit ordinary. The Bible includes 66 individual books, but with a unifying theme, God desires a relationship with us. So let's open the pages of God's word together and discover what extraordinary truths he has for our lives. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today. This is episode five in season two of this podcast, where we are examining the New Testament book we call Ephesians. During our study of Ephesians, we are specifically focusing on learning a variety of strategies I like to call composition clues. These are specific writing techniques or words or phrases or punctuation used by the author to help us better understand the intent or author's purpose when reading the Bible. These composition clues also help us better understand some of the theology in the Bible, and they help us to determine some practical applications that we can take and use in our own life. So far, we've studied the first 17 verses of Ephesians. We've talked about the doctrine of election and the doctrine of eternal security. And in the last episode, I challenged both you and myself to do what Paul is doing here and be praying for other believers. We can even pray using the very words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. Today, the goal is to wrap up chapter 1 with both some doctrine and some practical life application. And of course, I'm going to use a few composition clues to help us along the way. Okay, so let's get started. In the last episode, we stopped at verse 16, which says, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. And we left off there last week with the charge to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ. As a result of all this blessing from God, Paul has not stopped praying for his audience, the church at Ephesus and the other churches that this letter would circulate to. But this goes on to verse 17, which says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now let's pause there for just a moment. Practical application number one. Have you ever used the words of scripture as words to your prayers? Now we're going to come back to this when we get to Ephesians chapter 6, but let's consider this briefly. In Ephesians 6, Paul will explain the armor of God. He will talk about the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and several other pieces of armor. And all the pieces are used for defense except one, and that is the sword. The sword represents God's word. The only offense we have against our enemy, the father of lies, is our sword, which is God's word. Now, I grew up in an American church in the 80s and 90s, and we had these games we'd play in Sunday school. One of them was called sword drills. You'd all be sitting in chairs, and you'd hold your Bible above your head. And then your Sunday school teacher would yell out a Bible reference, and it could be obscure, like Haggai 1-3. And the first kid to find it, stand up, and read it would win points. The idea was to learn the location of the books in the Bible and be able to find references quickly. 
It was called a sword drill because the Bible is our sword, our offensive weapon. So imagine that you combine the word of God, your sword, with prayers. Imagine the spiritual power you have when you combine both scripture and prayer. So practical application, pray scripture. You can take these verses and pray them over yourself or others. It sounds something like, Lord, I pray that you would give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the eyes of my heart would be enlightened. Now, if you don't already pray scripture, let me encourage you to do this as a regular habit. I am a mom of two teenage boys. I have a scripture verse. I pray over each of them just about every day. I started this when they were really little. I use Psalm 1 for one of my sons and Romans 12, 2 for my other son. In this section of scripture, I actually like to pray for my three friends from my weekly prayer group. So that's one takeaway for today. Pray scripture. Find some scripture that's meaningful to you and apply that to yourself or people in your lives. Now, let's keep going and see what else these verses have for us. In verse 17, Paul says he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Did you notice there's a reference to God the Father, the Lord Jesus the Son, and a spirit of wisdom? It's like there's a hint there of the three persons of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Now, it's not 100% clear in the Greek that this does mean the Holy Spirit, The Greek word for spirit can either mean the Holy Spirit or it can mean an attitude or mindset. The phrase a spirit of wisdom and revelation could mean either wisdom from the Holy Spirit or an internal attitude of wisdom. So just as a point of clarification, Paul isn't praying that they will receive the Holy Spirit. Remember, just a few verses ago, Paul made it clear they already had received the Spirit as a down payment for their inheritance. But the Holy Spirit can also give us wisdom. So in either case, whether it's the Holy Spirit giving wisdom, or if Paul is praying for believers to have an attitude of wisdom, the idea here is that we can ask for wisdom and revelation. And let's step back and think about what Paul is praying for. He lists three things, a spirit of wisdom and knowledge and enlightenment. And we're going to dive deeply into these concepts in just a minute. But what I want to point out is what Paul prays for and what he does not pray for. He doesn't pray for prosperity or political power or happiness or an easy life. No, he prays for wisdom, knowledge, and enlightenment. If we use scripture to guide our prayers, I believe we will pray more often about the things that matter to God. And we will see this more in Ephesians, especially in chapter 3, but I want to just put that out there for you to think about. As you contemplate how you can be incorporating more scripture into your regular prayer time. Okay, so Paul's been praying that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Let's look at each of those words individually. Wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge. Like, I can know the difference between right and a wrong choice, but wisdom is when I make the right choice instead of making the wrong one. It's applying my knowledge. Now, the Greek word for revelation is apocalypse. Sound familiar? (laughs) Often we think of the apocalypse as the end of the world, but actually the word just means to reveal. I could technically apocalypse a new piece of art at an art show. Well, 
assuming I was an artist that went to art shows, right? Or I could apocalypse a new outfit I bought when I tried it on and came out wearing it. I would be revealing it. Apocalypse does not mean end of the world. So the word apocalypse here is translated revelation. It just means to have something that was previously unknown made known to be revealed. Paul is asking for wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. He's not asking for wisdom and how to get rich or revelation about what the next few months will be like for their relationships. No, it's about wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of God. This is what is important to Paul to pray for these churches. Can you just imagine if all believers all over the world began praying for these things in their own lives, in the lives of the people that went to their local church and as well as the global church? Can you imagine the power and the change that could bring to our planet? I mentioned it before. I love to pray Ephesians 1, 16 through 18 over my prayer group and also over my church. If there is one thing you take away from today, I hope it is that you will have a renewed passion for praying scripture and to applying that to yourself, to your family, and to your local church. I believe we as Jesus followers could change the world by changing the way we pray. Okay, so we've touched on the first part of this prayer, but it's not quite done. Paul uses the word so that. Do you remember the composition clue, cause and effect? We've mentioned it in a few prior episodes. There are some key words and phrases that help us identify cause and effects in scripture. And one of those phrases is so that. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that. The cause is the eyes of the heart being enlightened. Now, before we get to the effect, let's just pause and consider what the eyes of the heart phrase means. You might know from other episodes that I taught high school biology for a few years, and I can guarantee you that this is not a phrase to be taken literally, but I don't think you need a biology lesson to know that hearts don't have eyes. In the Bible, the heart represents the inner self, the emotions, the personality, your being, and the eyes represent your thoughts and your intellect. So the eyes of the heart is a mixed metaphor that helps the reader realize it's their entire being all intellect and all emotions, all their inner personality that Paul is wanting to be enlightened. Now, what is the effect of this? If the eyes of our heart are enlightened, so what? Well, it's so that. Remember, we're analyzing cause and effect, cued in by this phrase, so that. So it goes on and it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of your calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength? Okay, here's another opportunity for us to use composition clues. There are commas here, and the composition clue is punctuation. These commas are giving us a list. There are actually three effects Paul lists here. First, he's praying their eyes would be enlightened so that they would know what is the hope of their calling. Second, he's praying that their eyes would be enlightened so that they would know what is the wealth of the glorious inheritance. And finally, so that they would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward believers. Again, do you see what Paul is praying for? 
hope, knowledge, not wealth, not happiness, not an easy life. Yes, those things are a blessing, but they're never found in model prayers throughout scripture. Paul is praying for their enlightenment of these three things. The hope of their calling refers back to the first part of the chapter where he reminds them that they have been called to follow Christ. They have been chosen, adopted, predestined. The wealth of their inheritance has already been mentioned as well. Back in verse 11, Paul says they have received an inheritance because they are predestined according to the plan of salvation. And then there is this idea that they are enlightened to know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward believers. Now he's about to explain this power, so we'll get to that momentarily. But let me just pause and say this. Remember how back in the first episode of the season, I mentioned that technically we are reading someone else's mail when we study this book? This is a letter Paul wrote to first century churches. These words in this chapter, however, are not specific just to their churches. They are words for all Christians. The hope of the calling, the wealth of the inheritance, and the greatness of God's power applies to you and to me. It applies to all believers. Sometimes in letters in the New Testament, we run into very specific, very personal instructions. But this teaching is for all believers of all times. And if you've grown up reading the Bible and attending church, this might be intuitive to you. But I don't want you to lose the awe of this. A letter written 2,000 years ago by a missionary for some first century churches in the Roman Empire is meant for you and for me. It has truth for us. It's the year 2021 as I record this, and the truths of God's word written thousands of years ago still applies to our lives today. Let's never forget that. And let's be mindfully, purposefully thankful that God has revealed these things to us through his word. Now, back to the final verses of chapter 1. Verse 20 through 22 say, He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Now, Paul listed three things he prayed for, three effects of having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we'd know the hope of our calling, that we'd know the wealth of our inheritance, and that we'd know the immeasurable greatness of the power toward us who believe. And now he explains that power. It is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. What kind of power do you think it takes to give the dead back their life? Paul describes it as an immeasurably great power. That same power is available to us. That's what the scripture is saying. Whatever in life makes you feel weak and vulnerable, can I remind you that you have the same power available to you that was used to raise Jesus from the dead? You are not powerless. In fact, that power didn't just raise him from the dead. We see here that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Another composition clue I like to use is to pick out action verbs, and we've done this before together. There are three verbs in verse 20. 
exercised, raised, and seated. God the Father exercised his power by raising Jesus from the dead and seating him at his right hand. And just in case anyone is confused as to whether or not this elevates Jesus, verse 21 elaborates. He says, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Again, we have a list. Commas separate these words and phrases. Above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, every title given. This leaves no question that Jesus is equal with God the Father, and he is above any other possible power on earth or in heavens. But just in case someone is still confused, Paul then says in verse 22, and he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church. God has exercised, raised, seated, and appointed. He has exercised his power. He has raised Jesus from the dead. He has seated him at the right hand, and he has appointed him head of the church. If someone were to ask you where Jesus is today, you have an answer. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is leading the church. And we're going to come back to this in our next episode and connect Jesus' role as head of the church to our role as believers. But for today, let's close out with a few takeaways from what we've studied. First, pray scripture. It's powerful. It's our best weapon against the enemy. Second, we have hope, an inheritance, and access to power. We have the same power available to us that brought Jesus back to life. Please be encouraged by this. And finally, right now, as you listen to this, be mindful that Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. Everything else is under him. Every earthly government, every power, every bully, every problem, every temptation you face, it is all under his feet. Nothing exceeds Jesus. And if you are a believer in Jesus, you are in him. Be hopeful of your calling. Be wise in your understanding of who God is. And be strengthened in the power that is available to you. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to today's episode of The Bible for the Ordinary Life. My name is Alicia Parker. I hope you learned something and our time together encouraged your personal relationship with God. Be sure to check out my companion website at www.bibleforttheordinarylife.com or connect with me on Instagram at Bible for the Ordinary Life.